You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and with me today from FanRag is Jim Finch. we got lots to talk about. Of course, we've been... We have a busy news schedule pretty much day in, day out uh, here in spring training, and the news just uh, keeps coming. Uh, Ian Desmond news, of course, uh, some other injury updates. We've got a whole bunch of spring standouts to look at, and uh, we're going to put a bow on our draft guide, which uh, we just completed. So it is all online at FanRag Sports. And so with no further ado, Jim, uh, thanks for joining me again today. Thanks for having me. Yep, so uh, it is Jim Finch Mondays. <laughs> so uh, good way to start the week. Uh, well, let's start with the uh, the unfortunate news uh, about Ian Desmond. He was uh, hit by a pitch on Sunday, and the initial diagnosis is a fractured left hand. He will see a hand specialist today. I have not seen anything uh, further on this yet, but I'm sure we will uh, know something probably, I would think, within a few hours. Uh, I've already downgraded Desmond in my rankings uh, for outfield, I had him 14th, Jim, and I've got him all the way down to 37th. And for first base, I have downgraded him from 11th to 19th. So how does that sound to you? Are you, you uh, going to be as aggressive or possibly more aggressive in uh, avoiding Ian Desmond in drafts? No, that sounds about right. I had him ninth in the beginning. I would probably push him down to 20th at first base just for the injury risk until we find out how long he's going to be out, how much it's going to affect him. I think that's a safe place to put him because first base is kind of shallow to begin with once you get past the top 10. So 20 is probably a safe bet for an injury risk. Stash him on a DL for a few months and hope for the best over from June on. Yeah, that's my thinking on it, too. And he could be out. uh, I mean, I I think this is overly optimistic, but I saw one report uh, estimate uh, maybe a month. But it could be longer than that. And then it could also, even if he returns, it could be a while before Desmond finds his groove again. So uh, I'm being very, very cautious. And and basically, to put him that low, particularly my first base rankings, that really puts him pretty much out of play for a standard mixed roto league or, you know, at the very best is a late rounder. And uh, for, for outfield, you know, we're really looking at probably taking him as a, as a number four outfielder where, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of risk in, in doing that. So we'll have just have to wait and see, because, you know, maybe our rankings will take a little bit of a U-turn if we get some good news, but we'll just have to wait for all that. Uh, another update on Max Scherzer. He told the Washington post that he expects to be ready for the start of the season. So uh, you could take some encouragement from that, but it also doesn't strike me as, as terribly definitive. Uh, does this move the needle at all for you, Jim? Not really. I mean, when a player says he'll be ready for opening day, that's like him saying he's in the best shape of his life. I mean, <laughs> it's not up to him. It's up to the management. So he may, overall, I'm not too concerned. Even if he is going to miss the first couple of weeks, he's still somebody I would rank pretty high. So... You know, now, I'm, been, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not that I'm not that bothered by you know any kind of news on him because I didn't see the injury that serious to begin with. Yeah, uh, and I, I think you have company in that, and and I'm with you there uh, in drafts. I've t- typically seen him going third among starting pitchers, 
obviously behind Kershaw, but also behind Madison Bumgarner, who's at least in my drafts been the consensus number two guy. So pretty mild downgrade for Scherzer, uh, at least by my experience. So uh, I don't I don't think you need to discount him any more than that. Uh, Jason Kipnis, not good news for him. He's been shut down for two more weeks. He's had the strained rotator cuff, and now he's had a setback. So it seems almost a certainty that Kipnis will begin the year on the DL. How much does this make you shy away from Kipnis? Um, I would probably bump him down past 20 just because second base is so deep. And if you're dealing with any kind of shoulder injury, it's not like he had great power coming into before last year anyway, so you were only expecting maybe 15 home runs from him. If you take, bump that down to 8 or 10, you're relying on the stolen bases, and those haven't been that reliable from year to year. So you can, I would say you're probably safer getting like a Jed Garko later or a Neil Walker who can give you almost similar counting stats and just avoid the injury risk altogether. Yeah, and Jerko just homered a little while ago today, so his first homer of the spring. We were, uh, you and I, and also our colleague Greg Jewett, we were pretty consistent on how we were ranking Kipnis. Uh, Jim, uh, you had him 10th, and Greg and I both had him 11th. You said taking him down maybe to around 20. I don't think I'd go that far. And, uh, you know, part of it, too, just has to do with the depth at second base. That, uh, you know, I think there maybe there could be some chance that Kipnis could maintain that power surge from last season. I wouldn't really want to miss out on it. I'd cert- certainly drop him behind DJ LeMahieu, who I had behind him. But then I've got D. Gordon, Dustin Pedroia, Ben Zobrist, Logan Forsyth, Jonathan Scope. Those players to me are all pretty of, uh, of pretty similar value. So I felt like if uh, Stashy Kipnis didn't work out for me, and obviously I'd have to have some kind of probably a uh, replacement-level replacement for Kipnis in the, in the short run. But if, if it looked like it was going to work out, I could you know, just stick with that replacement or find somebody else up in, on waivers, particularly in a shallower league. Uh, I think I could, you know, you could get a Logan Forsyth or, as you said, a Neil Walker, um, and I'd be okay with that. If they were, if those, well, we're fortunate you know. enough to be playing with a lot of people that know what they're doing. A lot of people in standard leagues, you're going to have that one guy in the league that's going to go, Jason Kipnis, oh, he's only going to miss a month, and they're going to grab him a lot higher than he's supposed to go anyway. So even <laughs> if we do downgrade him slightly, someone's going to take him before he should. Yeah, that, and that could be too. So, uh, you know, I just think that there's enough parity in those sort of middle type tiers at second base that I just don't see dropping him the way that I would drop uh, Desmond where I see just such a big drop off between where I've currently got him and, or where I had him before I moved him, you know, and then uh, uh, who, who was just below there. So uh, that's another situation though, that, that we do have to watch since Kipnis is somebody who is being widely drafted, as he said, in, in standard mixed leagues, Anthony Deslafani, he was supposed to start today, today being Monday, he uh, has been scratched. Uh, he's had some more elbow problems, and so he is getting an MRI. And uh, as with uh, with Kipnis, the DL seems like a, a near certainty to start the season. So this will be the second year in a row that Desclafani was uh, slated to be the Reds' opening day starter, and he'll he'll miss that assignment. So I had high hopes for Desclafani last year, and when he had the elbow issues early on in spring training. I kind of thought, uh-oh, here we go again. And what was initially supposed to be very minor 
seems less minor now. So I did draft him uh, last week uh, in an auction. So I'm having a little bit of mild buyer's remorse there. But is is Desclafani at this point just totally off your standard mixed league radar, or is he a, a draft and stash candidate? I think he's a draft and stash candidate, sort of like uh, Sonny Gray. He's got the injury early, but it shouldn't be anything that should uh, derail his entire season. He missed time early last year and came back to put up good numbers and makes a good stash toward the middle rounds. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, think st- with this, I, I still have him at 46. I don't think I'd bump him down any more than what I have him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I think that maybe, if anything, this injury, maybe it does make Desclafani available a little bit later than he would have been otherwise. And I agree with you that that could only be a good thing in terms of his value. And same thing with Sonny Gray, who uh, I had a um, an auction last night. Now, it's a it's a little bit different because it's a $400 uh, uh, auction as opposed to the standard 260 uh, But I spent $7 on him uh, last night and felt pretty good about that, uh, Sonny Gray. You know, again, because with a $400 budget, it's not a huge risk. And I still think that there's that upside uh, with Sonny Gray. Salvador Perez is getting another MRI, his second on his left knee, and he will be out of game action for at least another week. So nothing yet about a possible DL stint for him, but uh, a situation that definitely puts Perez on hold. I have to admit, more so than with Desclafani or Kipnis, this is one that's going to affect my my valuation of, of Perez. And I found myself last night in that auction really pretty lukewarm on him and, and not wanting to spend more than, than a few dollars on Perez. Uh, now, I think I come into this a little bit biased against Perez. I don't like him as much as some other people do. But is this something that sours you a little bit on, on Perez's value? Oh, absolutely. Just for the fact that a lot of his value comes from, which people don't really realize, is... Uh... His at bats. I mean, he gets, I'd say, at least eighty to one hundred more at bats than the uh, average catcher. Once you go past the top guys, so a lot of his counting stats they're going to come from him playing every day. And if there's a chance that he's going to be played sparingly during the season, maybe get a couple days off here or there, those extra twenty, thirty days, eighty at bats, that's going to take a big hit on his numbers. So, yeah, he's definitely got to be discounted. Yeah, and I, I think uh, along similar lines, because maybe he just does miss the week here. Maybe he's ready opening day. But I think that this does call his durability into question just a, a little bit. Uh, you know, could be something that nags Perez down the line. And then you're right, and then he loses that edge that he has over other catchers. Uh, and that is part of the reason why I'm, you know, I, I know how much Perez relies on the playing time for him to rise above the rest of that second tier of catcher. So anything that might threaten that, that's something that really worries me about Perez. And that's on top of the fact that the last couple of seasons, he's really sold out his batting average for power. And you, you can get that. You can get that from Brian McCann. You can get that potentially from Evan Gaddis, depending on how much he plays. You can get that from a Mike Zanino uh, and, and several Russell others. Russell Martin. So, Russell Martin, yep, absolutely. Uh, and speaking of the Blue Jays, thank you for the segue help there. Josh Donaldson and Devin Travis are going to, or at least they're planning to DH in some games uh, within a few days. Uh, for Josh Donaldson, that might occur in either a minor league game or possibly even a major league uh, spring training game. For Travis, that is definitely going to be happening with the minor league squad. So a couple of players 
working their way back. Uh, Donaldson's case, it's a calf injury. Devin Travis's case, a knee injury, but both uh, appear to be uh, on the mend and, and on schedule. And then our last piece of um, of injury news, A.J. Pollock was lifted early from a game on Sunday with groin tightness. It was termed as a precautionary move, so hopefully nothing to worry about there. But, uh, you know, with Pollock, I don't know, Jim, if you feel similarly, but uh, I, I've got, I guess, a, a little bit of, uh, you know, a very sensitive antenna <laughs> to anything going on with Pollock health-wise after last season. Uh, again, reportedly a precautionary move, but anything that worries you here about Pollock? Yeah, any kind of leg injury bothers me with him because he's more built around speed than power. He had 20 home runs in 2015, but I only see him as maybe a 15 home run guy. So you're looking at 15-30 for home runs and stolen bases. You get a calf injury in there, and you're cutting that stolen base total down. All of a sudden, he goes from maybe a top 10, top 15 guy for you down to 20-25. So, yeah, I'm definitely concerned, and... I I would probably avoid him in draft just for the fact that you can get someone like a Ryan Braun or someone else just as comparable for a similar price. Yeah, yeah, and you know Chris Braun has his own injury history as well. But I agree for the for the prices that each is going for. I, I'd rather wait and get Braun because typically Braun has been going a little bit later, and uh, you know that's a good point too in terms of Pollock having a, a lower body injury. Uh, not only for the stolen bases, but I think that the speed also helps him to elevate his batting average. And if those two things are compromised, he he certainly does lose a lot of value. So, uh, well, that wraps up our news for the time being. Uh, we're going to head to break, but when we come back, we're going to be looking at some of the uh, weekend performances in spring training and see what, if anything, that might mean for your upcoming drafts. <laughs> Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host, and I'm chatting today with FanRag's Jim Finch. And uh, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, our draft guide is now complete. So uh, all positions, uh, all sleeper picks, buyer beware picks, that they're all there on the site. Uh, check it out. And also uh, on the site is uh, Jim's uh, guide for uh, closers, the draft plan, draft plan for closers. Sorry, uh butchered the name of, of the uh, feature gem, but uh, also we're checking out. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. And a couple of additional news items uh, that have popped up just uh, since the break. Uh, the LA Times is reporting that uh, Corey Seager could be out for the entire week. So uh, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked you about seven times in the previous segment. Does this worry you, Jim? It's spring training. As long as it's nothing that's going to affect him long-term, I'm not really worried about it. If it does turn out to be anything serious, he might get a slight downgrade, but it might not be that much given that shortstop is very top-heavy and there's a lot of mediocre, mediocrity down below. So and it all depends what the injury is. Yeah, well, and actually, literally as you were speaking, uh, I saw another update come through that he did do some light exercise today without issue, so at least no further setback for Seager. Yeah, for me, it's just, uh, 
yeah, you've got that bunchiness up at the top and then a big drop-off. So if it's a choice between Seeger and, say, uh, Francisco Lindor, um, you know, I, I may go go for Lindor. I may wait a little while and, and go for Gene Segura, um, you know, as opposed to being a little more aggressive and taking Seeger. But I agree, it's probably not a big impact. It's just a question of a little additional risk in a in a shortstop pool that is very bunchy at the top. Now, much lower profile piece of news, but one that Jim, we we're actually going to get to anyway in this segment. Charlie Tilson, who entered uh, spring training as the front runner to be. Uh, the Adam Eaton replacement in center field for the White Sox. He is now going to have an MRI on his foot, and he's been dealing with uh, an issue there, a stress reaction uh, for most of spring training. So uh, almost a certainty that Tilson's not going to be the opening day center fielder after all. And one of the players who's actually performed really well, who's in that mix, is Jacob May. On Sunday, he had two stolen bases against the Rangers. He now has a total of four stolen bases. For all the spring, he's batting 385. And one of his main competitors is uh, another prospect, Adam Engel, who's really struggled this spring. So I realize this is probably not a situation, regardless of who's going to fill the role, that you're really watching for, say, a 12-team mixed league. But if you're playing in a deeper league, are you interested in the potential steals that somebody like Jacob May could give you? Maybe in like a 20-team league, I would probably, I might consider him. He's he's basically an all-speed guy. There's zero power there whatsoever. So if you're drafting May, you're hoping he hits for average and gets you some stolen bases in a 20-team league or deeper. An only league, that might be something you might consider. Like you said, he's not really relevant for any kind of uh, standard 12-team, even I'd even say 15-team mixed leagues. But the deeper you get, any kind of player like this, you definitely got to put on the radar. Yeah, it's just he's the definition of cheap steals, you know, and not a certainty, which is why he's cheap. But, uh, I, you know, I think I've said it quite a few times over the course of the show this spring, but my plan in drafts, and I've stuck with it so far, is not to chase after steals, not to overpay for them. And there are players like May who do emerge every year. You know, last year it was Aaron Perez and Travis Jankowski and, you know, probably some others we could name. So maybe Jacob May is one of those cheap steel sources uh, for 2017. But, yeah, let's let's go back to uh, a little bit more of a shallow and standard format uh, impact. Jake Arrieta on Sunday against the A's. Overall, uh, you, you could really look at this half full, half empty uh, situation for Arietta. Three innings pitched, just allowed one run, five strikeouts, but three walks. And if there's anything that you would worry about with Arietta coming into this year, it's the walks. Uh, in the second half last year, he uh, walked uh, 3.8 batters per nine innings. So uh, does this, well, I guess I should really start, Jim, by asking you, how much have you been worried about the second half from Arietta last year going into this year? Is, has that soured you on him at all? I wasn't really big coming on him coming into 2016, just for the fact that he came out of nowhere and I wasn't a big believer. So when I saw the, the uh, collapse basically from June on, the decrease in numbers, it sort of solidified my point that maybe he wasn't as good as people thought he was. So... <clears throat> To see the walks this early on, yeah, I know it's spring training and they could work out, but this is something that you've had a problem with since last year. So I'm I'm having a hard time on figuring out if I want to keep him in my 
near the top 12 or if I actually want to move him down below the top 20. I don't think he's going to be bad, but the effect he can have on your whip, that's enough to concern me. Yeah, it's funny because the whip is something I don't – I mean, relative to two years ago, I would worry about Arias with it. But, but the one thing I'm very confident about with Arietta is he does get a lot of soft contact. I think he'll be a low Babbitt pitcher. Uh, I have him 14th. And I'm not going to move him based on one start, but it's certainly a, a mental note that I'll take here and look, you know, over the course of the remainder of spring training, and see if if there's any improvement there in the walk rate. Because if there is, maybe I'd move him up a spot or two. But otherwise, uh, you know, most people aren't looking at Arietta's outside their top twelves, and you know, so I'm just not getting him, and I'm really okay with that so uh right now certainly no reason that i see to move him up yeah Dylan i have Bundy, 12, but i I'm also sorry. have sorry i have him 12 but i also have carrasco Degrom, archer behind him so i can easily see moving him down a few spots below those guys yeah no i could too i definitely could see that yeah i've got him right ahead of uh Degrom and carrasco myself actually so if it were really bad i could certainly see see doing that as well and uh, Dylan Bundy, of course, a whole different set of issues for him. Also, we're talking about somebody who's you know much lower profile than Arietta, but a, a flyball pitcher who's had some issues with the home run. And again, not a surprise given his profile and where he pitches. But not a good outing against the Twins on Sunday. Two innings, five runs allowed, two home runs. That's now three in the spring that he's allowed. He's got a seven point seven one ERA. Now, one of the things, uh, Jim, you know, that we wrote about in the past week uh, with with relievers, um, I know you you made some references to head to head strategies. Uh, I provided a short list of pitchers for that format, starters who are relief eligible, and we'll talk more about that later. But Bundy is coming in as one of the more highly pursued relief eligible starting pitchers. And this this worries me again. Not the one start, but just the longer trend of being a flyball pitcher in a tough, tough park in a tough division to be a fly ball pitcher in. So do you like him either as a, a relief eligible starter or as a late round roto guy? Where where do you slot Bundy in in terms of your your tiers and, and such? Um, head to head, I would probably say he's more of a streamer option until he proves to be a little bit more consistent. Roto, I might just avoid him, or the same thing, maybe just a streamer option. I think he's more of a points guy to where if you miss out on any like the top 12 closers and you wind up with a couple bottom feeders in there, then he could provide a little bit more value than some of the bottom 10 relief pitchers. So as a starting pitcher eligible reliever, he could have some value in points league, but otherwise he's a late-round pick streaming option at best. Yeah. Agreed on all counts there. Now, one of the home runs against Bundy came from Byron Buxton, who's not having an amazing spring. In fact, that was his first home run of the spring. He's batting two seventy three. But the stat that sticks out for me in his 24 plate appearances, and I can't stress enough, it's just 24 plate appearances, but five strikeouts, which for Buxton, that's a step in the right direction. So we're talking small sample, a couple extra strikeouts. It's a whole different picture, so you can't take it too seriously. But in a case like Buxton's, if you're looking for something to hang your hat on and, and see progress, he's giving you that much, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the big sticking points I had with him coming into the season and even last season. The strikeouts have just been 
horrendous for him. So to see any kind of improvement, even a small sample size, it's nice, but I'm not going to make any kind of determination on him until I see what he ends spring training with. Yeah, and that's fair again. 24 plate appearances is, uh, and, and in spring training, no less, is uh, pretty much statistically uh, nothing. So <laughs> uh, it's a good first sign. Now, Trevor's story, we're talking about not taking sample sizes seriously, particularly in the spring. Trevor's story got off to a horrendous start this spring, and I will have to admit, I won't say it worried me or panicked me, but it was definitely, it, it put him on my radar as somebody coming off of, of uh, a season where, you know, he missed almost the latter, entire latter half because of injury, and then to start off so poorly, I thought, okay, well, I've really got to watch this. Uh, but the last four games, story is 7 for 12 with three home runs and four doubles. So if there were worries, I don't think we need to have them anymore. So did you even worry about story at all to begin with, or are you skeptical of last season? Do you have his spring training numbers in front of you? Because I'm kind of curious on what he's doing with the strikeouts, because that was another concern I had with him as well, because he had a 31% strikeout rate with the Rockies last year. Yeah, I know early on he struck out a bunch. I don't have them all up in front of me. It would probably take me a while to pull them up. So maybe over break, uh, I can can get those, uh, pull those up. I mean, Um, that was my biggest sticking point with him. I mean, yeah, he's got the power and everything, but... A difference between a 20% strikeout rate and a 30% could be that 272 average going down to 240. Still great for what he has for the power, but it kind of bumps him down a little bit as far as where he would sit in that top tier of shortstops. Yeah, and again, you talk about tiebreakers. I mean, Story's right in that mix. So if there's something that separates him apart, like like the lack of contact, you give that that that's it's a big difference when you're talking about the other shortstops you could be drafting now uh jimmy nelson he's not just fighting for a spot on your fantasy team he's fighting for a spot in the brewers rotation uh they've got at least six uh, pitchers there who are vying for five spots well really the, the first two seem to be sewn up uh and that would be um junior guerra and zach davies but nelson's right there with chase anderson and willie peralta matt garza vying for those those last three spots and he made his first start on Sunday, three scoreless innings, just one hit allowed, no walks, and four strikeouts. So certainly a, a good opening uh, shot for Nelson uh, just trying to get into that Brewers rotation. Is there any kind of uh, post-hype potential for Nelson here? Because he just has, he's really been disappointing each of the last three years. But not so long ago, he was, I think, on everybody's sleeper, sleeper list. Uh, is there any sleeper potential left there for Nelson? Um, no, not really. I think we discussed the Brewers maybe a few weeks ago, and he's one of those guys that you watch in spring training, you watch him over the first month. If he shows something, yeah, you maybe take a shot off him on waivers, but as far as drafting him, I don't care what he does in spring training. It's what he's going to do during the regular season that will intrigue me. So as of right now, I'm not looking at him. Maybe once the season starts, I'll add him to my watch list, but other than that, I'm not paying much attention to Jimmy Nelson. All right. Well, I think uh, you got a lot of company there. <laughs> so uh, we got to have to break yet again, Jim. But uh, when we come back, as promised, we're going to dig into uh, the relievers, closers, and uh, your uh, closer guide, uh, all that. We'll talk about it right after the break.
back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and with me today is Jim Finch, also from FanRag. And before the break, we were talking about some uh, spring standouts, looking at some of the weekend performances. One player we talked about was Trevor Story, and Jim asked me about the strikeouts for Trevor Story. I think that is an important thing to keep an eye on this spring. And uh, Jim, unfortunately, not great news there for Trevor Story. Again, we're talking very limited sample here. He's had uh, 26 plate appearances, only one walk, and seven strikeouts. So uh, you know, roughly three out of every 10 plate appearances. So pretty much in line with what we've seen from Story before. But uh, if you were, you know, if he had struck out, say, three times, that'd be something maybe you'd get a little bit excited about, but no dice. Sorry, Jim. Uh, that's okay. It's not like I was really concentrating on him anymore. I'm more of a Francisco Lindor guy, so really won't affect my draft plans, but others who maybe haven't drafted yet may want to keep an eye on that. All right. Well, fair enough. And something we did talk about, but I just want to uh, touch upon really quickly here uh, because we're talking about spring standouts. And one of the players who's really raised his profile a lot this spring is Jabari Blash, who is tied with Bryce Harper, somebody you've probably heard of, (laughs) with uh, five spring home runs. So they share the lead. Uh, Blash is now hitting 364. And speaking of strikeouts, that's been the, the problem for Blash in the minors and during his brief stopover with the Padres last season. I mean, we certainly don't lack for, you know, three true outcome type hitters who strike out, walk, and hit home runs. And Blash certainly fits in, into that profile. But, so he's hitting 364, five home runs, seven strikeouts, and 28 plate appearances. Not a great ratio, but by his standards, again, a step in the right direction. And Alex Dickerson is dealing with a back issue, so that may actually open the door for Blash to make the the Padres roster. Now, I don't know if that means he gets any playing time, but any interest there? Uh, I think we're talking more deep league, but any interest there in Jabari Blash? You know, I might even consider him for a 12-team league, just for the fact that spring training numbers, they really mean nothing, but if these numbers carry over into the end of uh, March into April, he could be somebody that, you have him for like the first month, get those good stats out of him before he actually goes into a decline. So as a late round pick, as a wave around flyer at the first week of April, he's somebody I definitely look at just basically it's like lightning in a bottle. Any kind of stats you can get in April for a roto league is great. So if the numbers continue on this way and he has a starting job, he's somebody I would probably, probably look at even, even for shallower leagues. Yeah, that's an interesting approach, and I think as long as you do that without really having to give anything up, and again, you're talking about a late-round flyer, so in that case, uh, it's very risk-free. Uh, you know, I, I like that. I like that. As long as it's you know not like, – it's better to do that than to have Blash make the team, start right off the bat, be really hot, and then you wind up having to you know outbid people in a, in a fab auction. <laughs> that's not what you want to do, and, and I'm not saying this because I, I did this at the beginning of last year or anything like that. Um, no, I definitely didn't do that with anybody. Okay. <laughs> Moving on to uh, closers. Uh, we've just completed our draft guide. Our last position was relief pitcher. So uh, all of our uh, closer content, all of our relief content is up there. And in addition to that, uh, Jim has his closer draft plan. And in the opening of that draft plan, Jim, you, you mentioned how you've really changed your approach recently. I don't know if it's just this year or maybe the last couple of years, but... You've uh, 
followed the really the conventional wisdom in the past of not spending too much for saves, and you've become a little bit more aggressive. So what what led to that shift? It was basically I had a roto league to where I had Craig Kimball and no one else, and saves were. Any, anybody you possibly could want for saves was gone off the waiver wire. So the only thing I was left with was middle relievers. And unless you're in a hold leagues, most people, they just pretty, pretty much disregard the middle relievers. But I started adding up their numbers. You look at one of them individually, yeah, the numbers are good, but you put two or three of those together, and you get elite starter numbers. And I wrote an article on that, and I basically followed it up. Last year I, I followed that up, and... Let me give you two pictures for a comparison. Both of them have 150 innings, and it's pitcher one. You got nine wins, 166 strikeouts, a 3.24 ERA, and a 105 WHIP. Player two, 11 wins, 152 strikeouts, a 2.16 ERA, and a 106 WHIP. Obviously, if you're looking at them, all things being equal, you're going to take player two with the mm-hmm. with the ERA less. With a sorry ERA one point lower, player one was Noah Syndergaard. Player two was Tony Watson and Kevin Segrist from St. Louis. Two wow. random middle relievers that were sitting out there on waivers that everybody disregards, but you combine them, and all of a sudden you have ace-like numbers. And this really turned the corner for me when I started looking at middle relievers, just for the fact that if I can do that with middle relievers. Imagine if I had two stud closers on my team like Jansen and Chapman. All of a sudden, you're getting 130, 140 innings, which is less than a starter, but you're getting 200-plus strikeouts. You're getting an ERA and whip better than any starter out there. And it just made more sense to lock up the big closers first. You get better pitching numbers. You add one more middle reliever or solid closer onto that. And you have a starter better than anyone in the league, and you can pad your ERA and whip enough to where you can get a couple middle middle ground pitchers in rounds 10 or 11 and absorb those numbers. Now, okay, and so this is something, did you actually apply this last year? Uh, I've or, been applying this for the past three years. I've been okay. going closer heavy. Do you, and do you feel like uh, you come out of the draft and you're like, wow, my outfield is really not what I want it to be? Do, do you feel like you, you're trading something off here, or are you basically able to make you know make your objectives in terms of pitching and not give up anything substantial anywhere else? If you're going closer heavy in the beginning, you basically need to lock up your infield with those first three picks. So you're looking at first base, shortstop, hopefully third base, if you can get those set, the outfield will basically take care of itself. You can get decent value in around seven to eight, round, eight rounds for the outfield to get at least a solid number one or two guy in there. And then a couple guys down below, take a couple flyers, and play the waiver wire. But as long as your infield is set, you have your closers, you have a good enough pitching staff, you can overcome all of that. And by midseason, you're far enough ahead in saves where you can trade one of those closers and get an outfielder and make up for any counting stats you may be missing. Okay. Well, yeah, I've been going the other way um, just because, and, and there was a sort of an agenda with that question I asked because I found 
two, three, four years ago that I was much more aggressive for, uh, you know, the Kimbrel types because, you know, back, you know, just a couple of years ago, Kimbrel really was the clear elite and I wanted to get him if I didn't have to pay too much. But I felt like I still was sacrificing too much in terms of either offense or starting pitching. But um, so that's, just, that's like outfield is really the key to making this strategy work. So, um, you know, you just got to make sure you, I guess, you're targeting the right outfielders when, uh, you know, when you're ready to take them. Now, you, you know, you're talking about some, you know, sort of mil- more middle of the road relievers. We've got a little bit of a difference of opinion on, on two of them who I think are on the cusp of being number one relievers in the 12 team league, Roberto Ozuna and Alex Calame. I prefer Calame. You prefer Ozuna. And actually Ozuna was uh, in our draft guide. He was my pick for buyer beware. So why is it that you prefer Ozuna over Calame? I think it's it's I, I have nothing against Calame. It's just that Ozuna the past couple of years you've gotten consistency in his numbers. The ERA two five eight to two six eight, the WHIP point nine two point nine three strikeouts. He's given you a consistent line to look at, and you know my strategy with pitchers. I, I'll always take the uh, boring, consistent guy over the upside, high-ceiling guy. And it's that consistency which puts him above Colome for me. I mean, Colome, he had a great year, but you look at someone like Ken Giles. He was the guy that everyone looked at that had that good year that we all expected big things from, and then he fell apart after that. And you go back a few years, and you got Wade Davis, who did the same thing in middle relief. Nobody paid him much attention when he did it his first year, and yet Colome were all of a sudden giving the benefit of the doubt and trying to push him up. He had one good year coming off a bunch of mediocre ones, and I, I just can't see taking the risk of putting him above somebody that's put up consistent numbers. And, you know, I can't argue with that uh, because if there's an edge to be given to Ozuna, it's definitely the longer track record of consistency, back-to-back years with very similar indicators, similar results. Uh, I do think Kalame is the higher upside guy. Uh, and, again, I, I'm taking the park factor into effect, too, that you know they're both AL East pitchers. But I think Ozuna's got the – even though he's had the more consistent track record, I think he has the greater potential for having a lower floor that if he gives up a lot of home runs at Rogers Center and also, you know, those trips to Yankee Stadium, Camden Yards, uh, you know, whereas Calame does get to pitch, you know, roughly half of his games at the Trop, and he's not really a big home run risk to start with. So I think it's it's really sort of a, a razor-thin difference between the two. It's just kind of funny that we both are making kind of an upside versus consistency argument, and yet we're arguing for different guys. So, uh, you know, I think they're both pitchers that people would consider either if they went for their number one closer, number one reliever late, or wanted to go early on the number two. So so you can uh, look at either side of this. Well, um, let's just take, we got a Twitter question. We got more reliever talk uh, that we'll hit after the break. But let's just try to answer this question real quick. This is from Tim Townsend at Tim Townsend underscore 81. Says Roto World seems to think Hudson's taking Tony Watson's job. Is this really possible before opening day? Now, to be fair, I have not been able to find any reports on that, but I think a lot of people are straying away from Tony Watson because the potential competition uh, are you, Jim. I'm not staying away, but I am aware of the fact that Hudson could steal the job. He's somebody I have liked in the past, and I, I have a soft spot for pitchers that turn relievers. 
So there is that possibility. I haven't seen reports that he will take the job, but um, um, I lean toward Watson as far as the player I'd want, but whichever one of them come away with the job, I think they'd be good enough to hold it. So maybe if you draft Watson, take Hudson later on, he could be somebody you can take a later round flyer on. That way you got a handcuff, and whichever one works out, you're covered. I like it. I like it. Well, we got more closer talk uh, to get to, reliever talk just in general, uh, talk about some other parts of the draft guide before we uh, close that out, and we will do all that in the final segment when we return. Welcome back to FanRag's Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Alan Melchior, and uh, you have picked a good time to join us because we are closing out our show, which has been chock full of reliever talk. So closing out with closers. And I'm doing it here with uh, Jim Finch, also from FanRag. Uh, Jim has the closer draft plan, so uh, he goes uh, tier by tier, round by round, and uh, discusses who your best targets are at different points in the draft. So... Be sure to check that out. And uh, also, let's uh, take a look at some relievers who aren't closers, at least not to start the season, who could have some fantasy value. You know, Jim, you were making the case for that in the last segment, that you can get really good ratios from some relievers who aren't getting saves, and and they can still help you. Uh, What about the setup and middle relief types who give you those good ratios but actually have a chance for future potential saves, closers and waiting. Do you have a list of two, three, four of them that you like better than the others? Um, I can pull up my rankings real quick. I know off the top of my head that I did write about Neris from Philadelphia. I think we discussed him a few weeks ago when we were uh, talking about Gomes and how he wouldn't uh, hold job for the entire year. So he would probably be one of the top guys I would look at. Um, Baraclo from... Miami, he's another high strikeout guy. I he does his walks do worry me, which is one of the thing I'm hesitant on. But they're not too sold on uh, Ramos over in Florida. They've been trying to get rid of him for a couple of years now. They've been talking about replacing him back to when Carter Caps was there. So I don't see him having a long shelf life. I don't know if Baraclaw will be the guy to replace him, but as someone to put on your team for ratios and strikeouts, he would be somebody I would look at. Nate Jones, you got David Robertson. They've been, they were looking to trade in the off season. Nothing happened there, but they are a rebuilding team. So come mid season, Robertson could find himself someplace else. And Nate Jones gives you same thing. Good ratios, high strikeouts, and he, would definitely be the guy to be taking a job there. So there's three players that I would draft right from the start. Don't even try and play the waiver wire game with them. If you uh, if you go late on closers or you miss out on any of the top guys, take a shot on any of these guys later in the draft. Yeah, love me some Nate Jones. I agree with you. Don't don't uh, play around there. Just uh, take the the late round pick and draft and stash him because I think he's probably got the best chance of any non-closer right now becoming a closer uh, with the possible exception of Carter Caps. I think those two, I would make a, a special point of targeting. I really like Blake Trainin, uh, and you mentioned that national situation. If they don't get out and go out and get somebody like David Robertson or, or somebody else, uh, I think that Trainin could be the, the closer 
within a, a month or two of the season. And I love Sean Kelly. It's not a skills issue with him. It's a durability issue. And I, I know that there you know, are already some misgivings about using him too often uh, on consecutive days. And training, it's just, even if he doesn't close, I, I really like the uh, peripherals that he has. Uh, he could help you with ratios, but I, I think there's going to be some saves there too. And I'll throw one more name out there, Taylor Rogers, because Brandon Kinsler may or may not keep the role. I think he's in kind of a Genmar Gomez type of situation there where maybe he can last the season, but just as easily he could, he could falter. And Taylor Rogers had a really nice season last year that I think not a whole lot of people gave a, a lot of notice to. So a few more names to add to yours, uh, Jim. So uh, let's like uh, shift one. Just yeah. I like the trainer one just because Kinsler, he's not a strikeout guy. He's not a bad relief pitcher in real life, but he's not somebody that you really want for a closer on your fantasy team. And the low strikeouts, that's yeah. just a deal breaker for me. And he's just one implosion away from being pulled. Yeah, now do you, you say you like because I think you said training. Did you mean Rogers as a? Uh, I'm uh, sorry, yeah, Rogers. I got the okay. I got the two names confused. <laughs> We're talking. Yeah, and there's just not a lot of, of you know candidates there that really excite me in Minnesota. So Rogers really kind of stands out. Uh, but yeah, let's let's shift back to head to head points leagues because we talked earlier in the show about starters who you could slide into a relief slot if you miss the boat on the really good relievers. You can you know get some some guys who compile innings and stats and even give you some wins in a relief slot. Danny Duffy is the clear elite this year there. Uh, we talked a little bit about Dylan Bundy. Anybody else on your radar for those formats? Um, off the top of my head, not really. I'm I'm usually uh, I don't play in that many points leagues, so I don't have to uh, worry about the whole starting pitcher relief pitcher thing. I'm more of a roto head to head guy, so nobody yeah. really on my radar for that format. And not for me either. And I uh, roughly half of my leagues are head to head leagues. And I've in the past that's been a place where I've really looked for value. And this year it's like, well, Duffy's really too much of a target. He's he's the lone elite, so he's not going cheap. And I have some regression concerns for Duffy anyway. And then you know I mentioned I'm really not interested in, in Dylan Bundy very much. Uh, the the one guy that I'm really rooting for this spring is Patrick Corbin because he had such a great finish last year, even though it wasn't a relief role. But he's had success as a starter before, and uh, he's relief eligible. So that's the one name that stands up. But he's not even guaranteed of winning the fifth spot in the Arizona rotation. So pretty slim pickings there for those uh, head-to-head leagues. So, uh, well, we've got a few minutes Maybe left, Trevor, Jim. So, yeah, I'm sorry. No, please go I, ahead. I was going to say, I just one name just popped in the top of my head as you were talking there. Maybe Trevor Bauer. I mean, it's I'm not that high on him, but if he makes any kind of slight improvements, he could be one name you might want to consider. Trevor Bauer, how, how many, he didn't, I mean, I guess if it's a, uh, I'm going to look up because I don't know how many relief appearances he had last year. Um, so we're going to have a little bit of exciting dead end here while I, I look. And I'm surprised he had seven. I didn't realize it was that many. So in leagues where you only need five, I like the call. I like that call a lot. So on that note, let's just take a look back because, as I've mentioned, 
We have now put a bow on our draft guide on FanRag Sports. So all positions are represented. For each position, we picked a favorite sleeper, a buyer beware. So through across all those different categories, all those different picks, are there any that really stand out for you, Jim, where you just say, well, this is the one player I know I'm avoiding in all drafts. This is the one player I'm going for value. Are there, is there like a name or two that just stands out for you across all positions? Oh, putting me on the spot there without looking at these. Um... <laughs> that might be a no then because, you know, there are certain Probably players. No. Uh, yeah. Cause like, for me, um, I know in, the, in terms of pitching, I'm getting Aaron Nola in pretty much every draft because he keeps falling, 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 and he's not having so far the most dominant spring. I mean, a good strikeout-to-walk ratio, but he's allowed a lot of hits. But I, I just I cannot pass up the upside at the price there is for Nola. And I'm absolutely convinced, and I think I'm on, a, on an absolute desert island with this, that Jose Quintana is overrated. Everybody loves the consistency. I just think in, in draft after draft, he's just going a little too high. So those two names stand out for me. So I don't, I don't know if that ins- inspires any thoughts about those guys or others, but... No, I'm in the consistency camp with the Quintana. I mean, I, 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 I can't falter for that because there are guys that I look at to where everyone else let go, yeah, I don't see it. So I can't falter for it, but I wouldn't be down, that far down on Quintana. All right. Well, that's, that's fair enough. So, uh, well, we uh, just have like a minute here to wrap up, Jim. So uh, where are you at in terms of your, your draft so far? Uh, you know, we're closing in final weeks before. Do you have a lot of drafts still coming up or are they mostly in your, your rearview mirror? I have all my drafts coming up. I scheduled any of my home leagues, any of the other leagues we have. They're basically set for one or two weeks before the season. So we can avoid all the, uh, all the injury possibilities and go into a season having a healthy team. So I haven't drafted yet. All right. Well, I think that we've gotten a GRA this week. No? Um, I'm looking on my list right now. I have one Saturday. Okay. So That's good. Well, we'll uh, do a little bit of draft review going into uh, next week. Thanks for tuning in, Jim. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will be back on Thursday. See you then.